Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is February 2nd, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 3, beginning the second full paragraph that begins, My Drinking Assumed More Serious Proportions. Today's readers are Leslie M. on the 12 Steps, Esther F. reading the 12 Traditions, and reading the text are Hoodie R., Katie G., and Carolyn S.H. The reference number for yesterday's meeting, February 1st, 2017, is 9532. And our newcomer greeter today is Amanda R. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group but ha- has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Leslie M. to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning. This is Leslie M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, 
Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie M. And I will now ask Esther F. to read our 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Esther S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend an OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 3, the second full paragraph. And I will ask Hoodie to get us started. Good morning, Kathy. Am I being heard? Yes, you are. Thank you so much for your service. Good morning. My name is Hoodie R. in Israel, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. 
My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity, for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the country, my wife to applaud, while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to caroom around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism. And um, here I am. I just, I, I, I just love this um, paragraph that I read. Um, you know, it really, I, I helped to, you know, hearing Bill's story, I get to, um, you know, just um, identify with Bill, identify with how he felt, how he, um, how he felt, and how he thought, um, um, and how he um, lived, and I just, and, and how he um, drank, in my, in my frank, how I ate, and I just like identify in. As I was ta- as I was taught to do, and yeah, I contracted golf fever at once. You know, I remember, you know, going going out and saying, "Okay, now I'm gonna get. Now it's time to go get married and you know make a change in my life because you know let me go far away from where I was, for where I was um, living because life I couldn't handle life anymore, um, and I was so much in and the food was I I just couldn't live life. Without without picking up, so I would make that geographical geographic change. Um, I thought, thinking, okay, so now I'm going to get married. Everything will be fine and dandy. Someone's going to love me, and I'm going to be able to relate to someone else. And then that will change everything. And so here he is. He, you know, he wants to go in. You know, let's say, let's overtake this um this disease. Um, but before you know it, I again I made that move and I changed. Um, and then. Food caught up with me. Obsession um, with exercise um, caught up with me, my body, and um, I, I again was. Be- I also became jittery and um, alone. And it, I read here it was fun to caroom around the exclusive course, which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. And I looked up the definition of caroom, and it's like a shot in which you know, a rebounding, especially in the angle. And, you know, I was just, like, thinking of, like, rebounding, um, you know, just, like, redoing it again, like, you know, okay, let me let me try again this way. And, like, going from one, from one, from one ball to the next ball, let's see, let's see if um, something's going to change. And I acquired this impeccable coat of tan that one sees upon the well-to-do. Like, okay, so I see everyone else is doing doing him, you know, just living without, free of guilt and free of um, blame, you know, I could do the same. And, um, you know, I covered myself up. I hid, I hid behind, I hid what I was doing around food in the, in my rooms, left alone. Um, and, you know, it was like really basically living as um, it says in, on page 52, in the bedevilments of this disease, you know, I was having trouble with personal relationships. 
I couldn't control my emotional natures. I was prey to misery and depression. I couldn't make a living. I had a feeling of uselessness, and I was full of fear, and I was unhappy, and I couldn't really be a real, couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. You know, I was living in this thing of just and trying with all my heart and soul to get to get what all of you had, but I wanted to do it my own way, and that's my thinking. My thinking wanted this. This is the, the progression of my thinking, just, you know, I, I did not want to make that step to surrender what I thought, because I thought I knew everything, and, um, and I'm just grateful that today I found a solution, um, I was able to be op- to hear and be open to a solution and become teachable so that um, I, I, I could be recovered um, by just taking on and being guided through the steps and, um, and doing what others Told me to do without, um, without, <clears throat> you know, without, without fight. And, um, you know, I just, I'm just so grateful for this, the, this program of recovery. It saved my life and no longer do I have to run from this disease because no matter how far you run, you can't, you can't run away. The disease, wherever I go, it, is, um, it comes, I take it myself with me and with that I pass. Thank you, Hoodie R. Now, we're going to share on the second paragraph that Hoodie read. Who would like to share? Harlan G. Nessa R. Nessa R. Shoshana K. Melissa C. Tina S. Okay, let me stop there. Um, I'll tell you who I have. I have Harlan G., Tina S., Nessa R, Shoshana, and I forget your last initial, I'm sorry, and Melissa C. Was there anyone else? Marie J. Marie J. Okay. Let's stop there. Jackie B. Who is that? Jackie B. Okay, Jackie. That's it for now. So I have Harlan G, Tina S, Nessa R, Shoshana I think, Melissa C., Marie J., and Jackie B. Please go ahead, Harlan. Thanks. Jackie K., thank you very much for your service, and thank you to Team Thursday. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. This last paragraph represents the last vestiges of Bill Wilson being even functional in the world. By the time we get to the next paragraphs until we get to page seven and eight. He is really down for the count. But what they're doing here is they're trying geographics. Lois, her father was Dr. Burnham. He was a gynecologist, not a gynecologist, but a gynecologist. He studied genealogy, uh, heredity. And they had money and they had uh, a home in the country in Manchester, Vermont, where he, where she met Bill, and they had places in the country and places in the city that they would run to as a couple. And when he would be drinking in the city, they would run to the country. And when he'd be drinking in the country, they'd run to the city. They would try a lot of geographics. Now, I've never tried geographics. I couldn't run from place to place within the country. But what I did try was 
Weight Watchers. What I did, and I'm not knocking Weight Watchers. I'm, I'm, what I did try was Tops. What I did try was Lose Weight with AIDS, those candies that we used to eat in the 60s. What I did try was different things to try to stem the tide of this vicious illness. Nothing of this earth worked. There was nothing that I could do to stem the tide of this illness. It had me in its grip, and it did with me what it wanted to do. And when he says here that the banker watched him whirl fat checks in and out of his till with amused skepticism, I looked at myself with amused skepticism because I never really believed that I could do it because I knew that in the back of my mind, that in the back of my mind, wanting that food was an itch that eventually I knew I, in my heart I was going to scratch. And of course, I did every time. Only a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps removed the desire to eat because food was never my problem. Food was the solution to my problem. And when I had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, the desire for food has left me. And for over 18 years, it has not returned. I'm real glad to be here this morning. I hope to see all of you who are listening at the convention in September in Newark. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Tina S., please go ahead. Thanks, Kathy. Tina S., uh, Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Heard some great stuff this morning. Uh, you know, I, I am just so grateful to be here and to know that I've earned this seat. And, uh, you know, one day at a time with a solution, you know, I, I can live free. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I always talk about when I first read this book, I didn't relate or com- I didn't identify at all. You know, I certainly compared. But one of the things that, you know, it reminds me of today is is the downward spiral of my disease. You know, I, uh, the impeccable pain, it's just hilarious and the insanity of it. I related to that when I first read it because, you know, my uh, last ditch effort was, you know, um, one more attempt, one more failure to go to treatment from Pennsylvania to Florida. Now, this was going to be the solution, you know, the great move, um, you know, and, and I identified with that impeccable tan because that's what I got when I went to treatment. You know, I didn't go to any of the um, meetings or anything like that. And, and it, so it would, it was, it was that nobody really missed me, you know, and, and my twisted mind, you know, I thought that, you know, if I just moved to Florida, if I get this tan and I became rich, you know, that was the solution. That was the solution. And, you know, and I know today that uh, it brought me to the, my first encounter with Overeaters Anonymous, and, and that was a gift. And so, therefore, I knew that there was a place I could go when I was ready. And that's what happened. You know, when all else failed, you know, I came back to Overeaters Anonymous, and I started doing the deal and doing it like other people were doing it, you know, because there were still the same people there when I came back. And I thought, oh, they have something. So, therefore, I became willing to do what they did and to get what they got. And uh, one day at a time, I continued to do that. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you, Tina S. Nessa R., please go ahead. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R., recovered um, compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And I just love this. We, uh, we read this paragraph at my face-to-face meeting last night. 
and we see very clearly here the progression of uh, of Bill's drinking. You know, in page one, he he just discovered alcohol. Um, in um, you know, in, in in page two, it starts to become continuous. In page three, um, it's um, uh, the drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life, and yet he was not experiencing the negative consequences of um, of his disease. But then, just a paragraph after that, my drinking assumed more serious proportion, um, continuing all day and almost every night. And then in the paragraph that we're focusing on, golf permitted drinking every day and every night. So now he's starting to um, um, choose his activities um, in order to um, allow for more drinking. And that certainly was the case for me. Um, I chose my activities um, you know, in order to uh, accommodate whatever food stage I was on, you know, with, with, whether... You know, I was uh, I was running to the food or running away from the food. You know, um, I would choose my my little kids' uh, snacks based on what I wanted to eat. I uh, put them to bed at the time that I wanted, so that I could like scurry down to the basement and be by myself and and eat what I wanted to eat. I chose the activities, the outings that we were going to do based on, you know, what was around, you know, the restaurant, the snacks, whatever. You know, I chose the routes based on the drive throughs And, you know, it strikes me that I, I was ready, prepared, and very willing to, uh, to uh, schedule my life around my disease. And yet, when it came time for me to focus on my recovery, I was not so keen to um, to schedule my life around my recovery. You know, uh, there were all sorts of excuses. You know, I'm tired. I don't have time. I have uh, this stress and that stress. I have this thing to at work. You know, um, if only I had uh, known <laughs> how important it is to uh, make program number one, I, I maybe, I don't know, uh, maybe I would have recovered a lot sooner. But the one thing that I, I do know about my recovery now is that I don't schedule my recovery around my life. I schedule my life around my recovery just like I did when I was in the disease. And this is something, you know, that Dr. Bob taught us, you know, and repeated many, 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 many times. You know, if we put half the effort into our recovery that we did into our disease, then we're going to be okay. You know, I didn't make excuses for not going out in the middle of the night to get my binge foods. You know, I wasn't too tired then. I wasn't too stressed out. You know, I wasn't too busy at work, you know. So why, do I, why are those excuses valid now um, that um, I put the food down and I need to work the steps, steps and focus on, on my program? It makes no sense, you know. I got to pursue my recovery with the same alacrity that I pursued my disease, you know, and once I did that and I continued to do that, you know, um, life is just unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Shoshana K., please go ahead. Shoshana, press star one to unmute. 
Hi, good morning, Kathy. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Um, this part of the Bill's story where he, he's um, saying the, the drink caught up with him, I really identify in with that. Turning to the food really had caught up with me when I reached my bottom, and this was the step one of my life becoming so terribly unmanageable. I would just be living to eat. And now, thank you, God, with the program, I eat to live. It's my fuel. I enjoy the food that I eat that's abstinent, and I'm living life. I'm present. My mind is able to have clarity, connection to my higher power now. I remember when I used to just want to eat and sleep, I would hide candy in the drawers. My kids would think they've hit the jackpot. Like, what is this in mommy's pajama drawer? Like a whole bag of candy. And I would be very, like, embarrassed and possessive over it. It's mine. I had to have my own stash of food at this point in my low bottom. And thank you, God. Other recovered members of OA who were friends with us and eating at my house meals over the years saw what was going on with me and told me about OA. I had only known about AA. I didn't know the other A's existed, and it was such a blessing. So years had gone by where I was in the food and just get the progression was getting worse and worse. So please, if there are newcomers on the line, don't let the years unfold where it gets worse and worse. Please grab the hands of these people here who want to help, who are doing this this beautiful service. And thank you, everybody. I really couldn't do it without you, and I pass. Thank you, Shoshana K. Melissa C., please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Kathy K. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, what strikes me is um, how delusional he is, you know, and boy, can I relate to that. Um, you know, his delusion, thinking that he's some sort of golf, you know, extraordinaire. He's coming up behind this, you know, famous golfer, um, you know, running around um, with a tan, um, you know, on these exclusive golf courses. And it's all image. It's all an illusion. And yet, you know, in the morning, he's, he's, you know, he needs alcohol because he's got the trembles, he's got the shakes. And, um, you know, and so I know that my my disease, um, you know, which exists in my mind, is a problem of my own making, is that I suffer from delusional thinking, you know. And when I was really um, into the food, appearances were everything, you know. So um, putting on that lipstick and the smile, um, this fake persona, you know, putting on this um, show, really, for people, and um, who was I kidding? Because, you know, you could be tan, um, but if you've got the morning jitters and you're drinking all day, you know, just like if you're 300 pounds and eating all day, who are you really kidding, you know, and yet... um, I'm, I'm prone to live in a fantasy world. I, you know, even today, having recovery, um, I have to, like, check myself, you know, often because um, my mind can run away with itself. I've, I've got an incredible imagination. 
Um, and, you know, and I guess that's a gift from God, too. You know, now I can use it for positive powers um, and not to um, pump myself up with this fantasy. And so, you know, I think about myself as a young person um, that I had this notion of myself as super great. You know, I drove cross country with friends, and um, who would even think that you would have to plan meals? And, you know, but meanwhile, how free was I? I was waiting till my friends went to bed so that I could eat, you know, alone. And at the end of the trip, I had um, alienated myself from everybody that I had to travel alone, you know, coming back. And, and in, in a way, it was my preference because I got to be alone with the food. So, you know, I could really, I could relate to Bill here, um, and I'm grateful that I live, you know, closer to reality today. Thank you. Is that okay? Thank you, Melissa C. Marie J., please go ahead. Press star one, Marie. Can you hear me? And now I can. Thanks. Sorry. This is Marie J. from Colorado. I'm recovered in Colorado. Thank you. Um, I love especially this line about my wife on the sidelines applauding and that this really struck that this is my ego and it's all about feeding my ego. It's all about validating and getting external validation so that um, I don't feel like a piece of garbage. And I, I really relate to Bill because I also had a job um, on Wall Street and I had a big job and I was whining and dining and entertaining my staff. I had a big New York staff and I'd fly in from Chicago and, and it was just so much about feeding my ego and getting external validation and impressing people just so that I could feel like I was worth something and always looking to the outside to get my ego fed and make myself feel better. But of course that will always fail. You know, it's always going to fail and lead me back to the food if higher, higher power isn't my source, if my reliance and, and my validation are not coming from something greater than myself, if I'm relying on humans. And I also have noticed in the last year um, that I have always taken a bunch of self-help courses and classes and spiritual things, and, and those were also to help me feel worthy and good. And it... it um, it was always this message of do more, do more so that I could feel good enough. And it took a lot of time from my family. And in the fall, I decided that I wasn't going to do that anymore at night and, and really focus on my family. But things keep coming up and I keep almost doing them because I still want that external validation. And my disease just keeps pushing me to relying on something outside of God because it's easier than trusting and relying on a God that I can't see, I can't find, I don't fully understand. And so my disease is always yanking me back into getting external validation from human beings because that seems like that voice, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that seems like it's going to make me feel good enough. And I wake up every morning thinking that. I roll over in bed and, I, and, I, and that disease, it's, it's just knocking on my door again saying, you're not good enough. You have to do this and that and get external validation. And every day I go back 
and, and get on my knees and give it over to God and ask God to run my life today so that I don't have to go into the food and I don't have to go somewhere else for validation. And that's why I'm on this call. I, I need you. I, need, I have to do this every day, and I need you to help me stay in recovery every single day. And now, um, with abstinence, I have clarity. I can see my insecurities. I can see that I'm going and looking for external validation. And if I stay in fit spiritual condition, if I am putting my entire reliance on higher power, if I'm working with steps, and if I'm being useful to other people as my primary motivation, if I'm thinking of you before I'm thinking of me, then I stay clear. I stay abstinent. I stay out of the food. And I'm, I have more time for my family and my relationships and my beautiful children. And I mean, my life is so happy, joyous, and free today because I get to do this every day, even though my disease is always there in the background, wanting me to go after some, something else, something else that I think is going to make me feel good enough. So for me, reliance on higher power and giving my ego over to higher power is the most powerful thing I can do to stay in recovery. Thanks. Thank you, Marie J. And Jackie B., please go ahead. Hi, I'm Jackie B. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Go ahead, Jackie. Thanks. Um, Thank you, everyone, for your service. This is uh, Jackie B. from the Bronx, New York. Um, I'm very grateful um, that today I have clarity after all these years in program. Um, Because now when I read the big book and study, actually study it, I am so amazed. Um, I identify with every share that came before me and after me. um, Because I, I was a martyr. I... I didn't want to be ambitious because I was afraid being ambitious would would uh, adhere to God's wrath. Um, I thought being humble, but was I really being humble or just praying that everybody would read my mind and, and know what I wanted and what I needed? Um, and so when they didn't, of course, I ran to the food. You know, I swore when I had a child years later, I would never, you know, compulsively overeat again. Well, that didn't work either because I found myself through the drive throughs and then sit by the water and bond with my daughter while we're eating tons of food. Um, You know, I have to see that you're buying tons of food for people and say, oh, I'm being loving and caring. No, I'm not. Whether I'm in recovery or not, it's not my job to feed the world. It's my job to be present, to be of service, and not to connect it with the food. But understand that I'm a compulsive overeater, that I have to do my food every day and then do God's will. This morning I woke up and I said, God, thank you for letting me be abstinent yesterday. Thank you for letting me be abstinent today. And please help me do your will. You know, always me trying to think. I didn't, like identify with not, you know, I didn't go to fancy places or all around the world. I went to every restaurant there was around the the New York and state and upstate, but I did not really explore life. Today I can explore life. Today I admit my fears. I admit my anxieties. I admit 
my happy and joyous. And yet, I still have to work this program. I get to work early so that I can be, I can listen to this meeting, that I can be part of. You know, um, yesterday, a lot of people reached out to me from the phone meetings, and I was so overwhelmed and said, you know what, it doesn't make me great. It just makes me love today. It makes me feel that I am sharing the honesty. The honesty is is that I'm a gut-wrenching addict when it comes to food, and I will run to the food if I don't run to my recovery. So, yes, I have to do my recovery first today so that I'm able to be there, to see my, be aware of my character defects and to be service to other people. So with that, I will end. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Jackie B. Is there anyone else who would like to share on the paragraph we were sharing on? Larry? Suji? What paragraph are we on? Okay, we are on, um, let's see, the paragraph that ends out of his fill with a new skepticism. What page? Page four. Thank you. Okay. Um, okay, so I have Larry, Kay, and Sue G. Anybody else? Okay, Larry, Kay, please go ahead. Uh, thank you for your service, Kathy. Can you hear me all right? I can. Okay, good, good, good. Thanks so much. I'm Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. You know, Bill, we see here that Bill, um, he sought out the golf course. The golf course was a place that he could drink. Um, it was acceptable to drink, and he went about drinking. Um, a heroin addict can't work a nine-to-five job unless they have to, a heroin addict, if they're going to get to their heroin, as they know they need, they're going to find some sort of vocation or avocation in which they can get to their heroin. And I, too, sought the same thing, just like Bill. I sought, uh, sought out job situations. You know, you could be a professor, and you don't, you're not, you don't have a nine-to-five type of job. You've got lots of free time in between classes. And uh, I don't want to be melodramatic, but that's exactly what I did. I, I made time, and I sought out other other arrangements, other work arrangements where I could make a living and get to my heroin, just like Bill had to get to his alcohol. I could get to my food. Um, so I absolutely can identify with that. And, you know, and what I would do is I would uh, – and, and it wasn't um, just a desire for food. I had to have the food. I had to have the food. I could not cope with life, although you might have had an indication if you didn't know, because I could wear masks as we do, that I was getting along okay. You know, you can articulate things. You can go about your work. Many of us do. But I had to have my food in order to cope with life. I didn't understand it necessarily, although I knew it was problematic. A heroin addict knows it's problematic. A heroin addict doesn't you know, take, uh, you know, great joy in, 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 in wrapping a band around their arm and getting out the syringe. That may sound melodramatic, but that's, that's in essence, is it that much different what I was doing with food? I wasn't using food for, you know, social enjoyment and fuel for my body. I was using food, and I used the types of foods that gave me ease and comfort so I could cope with life 
food wasn't my problem. Yes, indeed, it wasn't my problem. It was absolutely the solution to my problems because why is it the solution? Because it allowed me to cope. It gave me that ease and comfort to get through the day. Am I any different than a heroin addict? One is illegal, one is legal. Is there anything different in the underlying dynamic? I would suggest no. So can I identify in with Bill on the golf course? Most certainly I can. With that, I'll pass, thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay and Suji. You'll be our last share before we move on. Thank you. Okay, thank you. This is Suji um, from Michigan, uh, recovered by the grace of God. My golf fever was working out at the gym. Um, I was in between. Mine was, wasn't to drink. It was to, to, or to eat. It was to try to stay absent when I didn't have a sponsor. Um, it was just my next addiction. Um and from there, I found dance fever. And I, between the gym and going country western dancing, um, it kept me with something to do so that I didn't eat all the time. But then I started eating on the way home from anywhere I went. And I did slowly relapse, but it was slowly because of all the activity I had. And then uh, eventually I decided that lifestyle wasn't for me. I was getting too much attention from men. And I decided, because I'd lost all the weight uh, back in 91 to 93 uh, through OA and and, uh, looked pretty good. And I decided to give that all up and go back uh, to church, go back to doing my devotions in the morning, trying to do step. I didn't know about steps 11, 10, and 11, but I found a meeting. And uh, if it weren't for the spiritual pulling at me and pulling at me and pulling at me, um, I I don't know what I would have done. I probably never would have. Uh, I mean, I was continuing to work any 12-step books I could find. But I did when I, when you know thank God because I that I had the activities until they got out of hand. But I think I I learned that life on the wild side just wasn't it. It was my downfall, and not um, not my uh, salvation per se. It didn't really keep me, but when I boy, when I found that there was a meeting I could go to and I could help with, and uh, I was right back there, and back in program, and back with the sponsor, and back uh, getting absent again, and learned me how to sponsor again. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Suji. We're going to move on to the next paragraph. Uh, Katie G, would you read? That paragraph beginning abruptly in October 1929. Hey, Kathy, it's Katie. Can you hear me? Yeah, thank you. Awesome. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Abruptly in October <clears throat> 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of the inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a bro- brokerage office. 
It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of tape, which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many of my friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. This disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Oh, I'm so excited to be able to share on this today, um, setting my timer. Um, so I have no idea. I wasn't around in 1929, but tell you when I was around. September 11th of 2001. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's my birthday. And um, so, uh, like terror in our life, right? Like horrible, horrible day. Um, and that's, that's what I can relate to. Horrible, horrible day. And um, I was pretty angry. And I was pretty much like, so there's this huge thing going on. And what about me, right? What about me? And uh, you might be sitting there disgusted, but I was active in my disease and I wanted the food. We went out to dinner and um, I was like, whatever, nobody's here. I don't care. I want the food. Nobody's going to nobody's gonna take my food away. Um, and how dare, you know, somebody else try and try and hurt my birthday because um, I'm not going to let this event ruin the great KDG. And, um, you know, tomorrow was another day. As I ate, the old fierce determination to win came back. <clears throat> and um, that might as well be my life story. I remember there would be times that I was um, drinking and eating in my house and I would be thinking in my head, I would be seeing myself like this movie, like close up on sexy woman and she's sitting in her apartment drinking and eating and somehow the eating wasn't as unsexy as the reality um and you know that tomorrow she would go and and conquer the world right it all comes from my mind and how many times i am a fighter i am a last gasper i have been in the rooms of overeaters anonymous for 15 years and i've been abstinent not that whole time. I did the steps the first time nine years ago. And guess what? The old fierce determination to win came back after doing the steps. You know, and, um, and today, thank you, God, I have learned I have ceased fighting anything or anyone because every time I get in the ring with food, I lose. With the body scale, I lose. With, with exercise, I lose. With control, I lose. I want power over people, places, and things. And when they don't do what it is I want them to do, I work harder and harder and I fail. But today, a recovered life means I get up and I surrender. And I say, God, I say, God, help me be of service. It's your will, not mine, be done. And you know what, guys? It's not easy because life isn't easy. Life is not all rainbows and puppies. It's not always giving me what I want. It doesn't. That's not the reality. But me and God, we're talking about it. We're talking about it. And I'm surrendering. And I'm saying, okay, one, I'll just close with this. You know, if life isn't giving me what I want, 
what is God blessing me with today? You know, and and adjusting my attitude. That is the number one thing I can do. It's not what happens in my life anymore, guys. It is how I respond. And thank you, God, for this beautiful life that God has given me. Thank you, God, for one more day to live as a recovered woman. If I choose to accept the responsibility of entire abstinence and working the steps, doing it with you in Boston, shoulder to shoulder. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. Katie. Who would like to share? Chrissy G. Sarah W. Chrissy G. Candice B. Pam S. Okay, let's stop there because I'm not sure how many we can do. I have Chrissy G. Sarah W. There was someone else after Sarah, then Candace B. and Pam S. Who did I miss? Katie F. Katie F. Okay, we'll see how many we can get to. Let's get to. Sorry? Sorry? Okay, Chrissy G., please go ahead. Chrissy G., are you there? Press star one to unmute. Okay, we'll check back with Chrissy. Sarah W., can Can you not hear me? Oh, now I can, Chrissy. Oh, okay. Um, I was saying that I identify with Bill so much that that personality, that alcoholic personality, that driven obsessive compulsive nature to to succeed to really want ease and comfort in life don't want any difficulties none of the hard stuff you know none of this you know jumping from windows pull myself up by my bootstraps but the whole thing is that what I didn't realize in life and that I'm learning through this program is that living through those seemingly uncomfortable dark bad times, which really turn out always to be blessings and, and gifts that I learn, gifts that I receive more strength, more resolve to, to live life in a, in a surrendered spiritual way. Now I know, I used to think those are the times that you had to eat through, white knuckle through those times. And then once it's over, you know, you come out of the cellar, you know, just like that, that one part in the book where it's like you come out of the cellar and isn't it, isn't it grand? The wind stopped blowing, you know, and, and let me get up and, and, and do it again and, and try, try to get some more of those, those high times, those good times. Cause that's what life is all about. Just trying to feel good and accomplish things. I never realized what life was truly about. It's about me growing me softening my heart to God and to the people around me and just becoming one with, with everyone. That was not my, my goal. I mean, when you want to, when you have the will to win and to succeed, it's all about me being number one, not me feeling one with everyone else. So it's a different way of being and thinking, but my natural inclination is that obsessive compulsive drive. So I need this program this program is my medicine. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Christy G. 
Sarah W., please go ahead. Good morning, Kathy. Good to hear you on the line. Sarah W., very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Iowa. Um, I, it always struck me, um, the line that disgusted me when people were jumping to their death. And I was thinking to myself this morning, <clears throat> in the midst of my compulsive eating, I had children, and I was completely oblivious to their needs or um, to what I should be doing as a mother. You know, if I'd have known better, I've have, have done better. But the reality was that, you know, everything from the time I was very young was always about what I could obtain um, and what people could give to me. And this judgment that he talks about uh, of being disgusted, having absolutely no empathy for anybody, you know, he would not jump. And then he goes back to the bar. Because probably deep down within the, within him, he was uncomfortable in his own skin. And, you know, the thought that came to me about all this is his judgment of others, you know, his powerful fantasy life uh, that we're going to read more and more about as we come down the line here. Uh, but, you know, this is where we live in, in addiction. Uh, you know, we cannot, um, you know, see the truth from the false. And, you know, it's so painful, uh, you know, as other people said this morning, and I believe it's true too, that, you know, the food was the solution for me because I just didn't know how to do life on life's terms. And, you know, uh, you know, they talk about being restored to sanity in step two. I never had had sanity. I didn't even know what that looked like. And sometimes, in all honesty, in my recovery years, I sabotaged that sanity because I was uncomfortable in it. I was more comfortable in chaos and craziness. And today I don't have to go there. And I don't do anything perfectly. I don't have any perfect part of me. But what I am as a human being, I'm not a human doing anymore. And really I, I, I choose to uh, really give myself to this program of recovery and bring it into every area of my life. It is extremely important uh, for me to feel like I can give to this world because for so long I took and with that I can. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Um, I'm sorry, we're almost at the time, so I'm going to ask Katie F., I believe it is, to take a two-minute share. Katie? Yeah, it's Katie F., but thank you. I can make it quick. Okay. Um, Thank you. Thanks, KDS, Recovered in Pittsburgh, PA. Um, I just wanted to comment on how at this stage in Bill's disease, his higher power of alcohol is still working for him. The world is falling down around him, yet he can go on because he has his higher power of alcohol. And it's going to take another couple pages in his story here to come to the part where, you know, he's considering suicide and it's not working for him. He's been drunk for years now and everything is falling apart within his own personal life. But at this stage, and I know that in my disease, there were times that I could look around and think, well, I have this, so I'm okay. And without a pass. Thank you, Katie. Um, I'm sorry, Candace B. and Pam S., I hope you will stay around to share 
in the second hour after announcements. Um, it's now time for us to close this part of the meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing and announcements. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book of Vision for You on page 164, Carolyn S.H. Would you please read that? Good morning, Kathy. Am I unmuted? Yes, you are. Hello. Um, Carolyn S.H., Gratefully Recovered Compulsive Eater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.